In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. When Israel was in Egypt's land, oppressed so hard they could not stand, thus saith the Lord, old Moses said, let my people go. No more shall they in bondage toil, but they come out with Egypt's spoil. Let my people go. Oh, let us all from bondage flee, and let us all in Christ be free. Let my people go. The story of the Exodus is deeply embedded in the religious imagination of our nation. It has especially shaped African-American images, both of self as a part of the people of God and of what God is doing in a hostile and oppressive world. The sense of liberation that is conveyed by the retelling of Israel's exodus in that context as an expression of God's will to free his people of his power to liberate them may seem to have application only in the realm of this life. And some liberation theologians have argued that. But I think not. When Martin Luther turned to formulating a public statement about his central principles governing his Reformation in 1520, he wrote a series of treatises, one on the sacramental life of the church, a couple on good works in the life of the church, the, the daily reforms in the life of the church that were needed. But when he came to treating the doctrine of justification, he entitled it, The Freedom of the Christian in Latin, on Christian liberty. Luther's understanding of the restoration of righteousness, of justification, involves the liberation of the sinner from the power of sin and the domain of the devil. Justification is freedom from death's shadow that is always turning us in on ourselves, always shoving us into a defensive position, which means at worst striking out against others, and at best, instrumentalizing them to make ourselves look good or to protect ourselves. In the freedom of the Christian, Luther asserted that God's chosen people are liberated from sin, death, Satan, the condemnation of the law, so that they may be bound to love their neighbors. I frankly think he should have said it a little differently should have said that we are freed from those who take away our true humanity as God designed it, so that we might be free from self-centered living and idolatrous dependence on unreliable sources for our identity, security, and meaning, our false gods. We are freed from those things so that we may be freed for living life in the footsteps of Christ, the result of our being justified by Christ's resurrection, as Paul says in Romans 4.25, and then elaborates in his passage on baptism a chapter later. For Luther, justification took place for most believers at his time, practically all of them, at baptism. And so in 1523, he composed his so-called flood prayer in which he saw the drowning of Pharaoh in the drowning of Pharaoh, the liberation of God's people. This prayer led God's people to pray that the baptized may be drowned as sinners in Adam's image, taken out of the company of idolaters, and be preserved, as he says, 
dry and secure in the holy ark of Christendom so that they might serve God's name at all times, fervent in spirit and joyful in hope. Luther believed that the child newborn in baptism was reborn to live in a relationship of fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all that God had made. That kind of righteousness that God bestows comes on our side through faith, through trust. This gift of humanity, this gift of God that establishes our humanity has its basis in us, in our trust in the one who created us out of unconditional love and never has stopped loving us. He came in his literally inimitable way to redeem us, that is, to liberate us. Through something as unlikely as a paschal sacrifice, the paschal lamb anthropomorphized as God in human flesh. That just doesn't make sense. But God accomplished your liberation from sin in this wise way that doesn't conform, conform to our wisdom, our concept of how God ought to accomplish what he needs to accomplish for us. And yet the paschal sacrifice, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ has destroyed the firstborn of every evil design of Satan. And Jesus says to us, trust me, trust him. The Israelites, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, the Hebrews kept the Passover only because they trusted the word of promise, the promise that God was intervening in their behalf. And just as Moses found his watery refuge only on the basis of his parents' trust in God, just as faith drove Moses to share his people's suffering, just as faith gave him courage to defy Pharaoh, so the Israelites went through the waters singing a song of praise as they left their identity as slaves behind in Egypt. It was faith that caused the Israelites to look at the walls of water and say, the hand of our God will preserve us, for he has chosen us to be his people and destined us for the other side. The restoration of the righteousness of the people of God, the restoration of the kind of relationship they had with him in Eden when they listened to his word, enjoyed his conversation and his company, lived in shalom, in the order, the harmony, the peace, that only trust and confidence in the loving, protecting of hand of God can give. That faith God has now directed toward our Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb in human form, who has come as God among us and God for us. You did not march out of Egypt. You didn't leave your identity as captives behind there. You didn't receive the gift of identity as free men and free women in the waters of the Red Sea. But the same Lord who rescued Israel has brought you out of captivity. He has restored to, the, to you the righteousness that expresses itself in your trust in the one who continues to say, I died for your sins. I rose that you might be righteous. Yeah. You are freed to be that child of God, that faithful child of God that Moses was. That's the way it is on this third 
in this third week of Advent in our Lord's year 2010. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.